0: Hello Trojan fans! Welcome to episode number 333 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 18th, 2014. It's a big show and the first show. The uscfootball.com is an official part of Scout.com, the Scout.com network. So we're really excited we get to bring the band back together, the gang back together. we got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on the show. We haven't had him on for a little while. We have Coach Harvey Hyde in this first segment. If you have any questions or comments... Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us at 206-888-6755 is the voicemail number, or you go to our website, it's always there, peristylepodcast.com. We had a lot of questions, is the podcast still around, what's going on? Of course, the podcast is here to stay. Peristylepodcast.com is its own separate page, so we're going to continue doing the same thing. You can still get it on iTunes. Everything's exactly the same. For the Peristyle Podcast, we're just have Dan Weber joining us again like he used to before because now he's again part of the uscfootball.com team. All right, so that's a big introduction. We've got Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How are you?
1: Ryan, uh, it's good to be in a new conference. Got to do a new conference now, and uh, we want to welcome all of our listeners out there. If you're a new listener, uh, welcome. Uh, join us here in the huddle. And uh, it's a lot of fun, Ryan. I'll tell you, we had a lot of fun Sunday out at the practice uh, I was pretty fired up about it and then uh, tweeted out some things that were, what I say, popsicles for everyone, man. It was, it was one of those type of days. And, uh, it, and after listening uh, to Coach Sarkeesian afterwards, and, uh, uh, he felt the same way I did, Ryan.
0: I think he did, yeah. And uh, I wanted to thank our sponsor before we jump into that, Southern California Tickets. They've been our sponsor for years and years, com. Or call them at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, you can check them out, sctickets.com. And uh, you can follow Coach on Twitter. He mentioned his Twitter account, at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me, at Inside Troy. And uh, Coach, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. We got to see you both at Saturday practice in the Coliseum and Sunday practice in a a warm afternoon uh, on Howard Jones Field. Kind of get your thoughts. I know you tweeted out some stuff, but maybe kind of share what you saw over the weekend.
1: Well, um, I've been watching the, the Trojans very carefully, as you, as you know, Ryan. Uh, uh, and camp is such an important thing, especially when you have new coaching staff, you have a new offense, a new defense, and you want to see how kids are, are learning. And, and, and uh, I, I wasn't real happy with the Wednesday night scrimmage. Uh, yeah, On uh, Saturday's practice, uh, it was so-so. I left there sort of down because uh, Damian Mama went down with an ankle, and I thought it was worse than what it was, but I think I told some people on the way out the door, I said, he'll be back. He'll be back tomorrow. People looked at me and said, how do you know? I said, because he's a Samoan. Samoans have no pain. I love coaching Samoans. Uh, I love their attitude. Uh, It's a matter of pride to get back and play, and Sunday I see him, he's out there right away starting running with the ones a couple times and you didn't even have a limp. So to see a healthy football team on Sunday and uh, to see uh, them now be more organized as far as rhythm. Uh, They were doing a lot of substituting, a lot of people running with different units. Uh, Too much of a hurry emphasis, I thought. This is my feeling, only my feeling without giving the players enough time to digest what was called. And uh, players weren't playing at the same uh, pace at 100% because they were doing a lot of thinking. Uh, so I saw Sunday a team that was organized with as far as the pace, not panicking with, with let's get it in, let's get it done, but getting off the ball giving 100% effort offensively and defensively, seeing players return that have been injured, great competitive practice. Well, you know, I I thought of all the practices I've been to for the entire fall camp, it was the best practice of the year. I thought you got better. Sunday USC got better. They got better. Some days you don't get better. But on uh, Sunday they got better. I really enjoyed watching the live scrimmage goal line from a T formation. What I mean by that, uh, quarterback under the center, not a T formation, but quarterback under the center. I love the way they break title quickly. uh, go, uh quickly on the goal line and the plays are running down there in the goal line. Uh, they have what they call a short yardage offense. They're emphasizing it now. They know what they want to do with it when they need it. And I like that. And it went all out. And I think that's what you have to do to get better offensively and defensively. So they got better. So I thought it was a great practice. In fact, I thought, uh, well, later after listening to Coach Sarkeesian, uh, he thought it was a great practice too. So he had a little fun and and had a field goal kicking uh, opportunity for Hadari to kick a field goal. And if he made it, they were going to cut the final segment and send everybody in happy. And they did it. <laughs> And I think that's what you've got to do once in a while, reward people for when they bring you uh, their game. And the whole team brought their game today. It was great to see it. And uh, I think today the team came together. I, I think today a, a USC United uh, program emerged. A lot of new hearts on the field. Same hearts uh, as far as returners coming back, but a different heartbeat. And I think it was great seeing that, and I feel real good about
0: it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a really interesting weekend because, you know, Saturday was a little different. They were in the Coliseum. They weren't in full pads. And then Sunday, full pads again. And like you said, they cut it short. I was actually doing a radio interview, Coach, and uh, I didn't even hear the horns. But but I knew they were going to do this uh, field goal kicking thing, and I went out to do the radio interview. And I come back, and everyone's, like, leaving. I was like, what happened? And they, they cut practice off early. So I think they needed that. Um, But, you know, Steve Sarkeesian talked a lot about this being kind of the dog days of fall camp and guys are fatigued mentally and physically. So getting a little treat like that and then some of the guys actually jumping off the the high board into the pool, um, the high dive thing into the pool. I think that kind of helped, too. But cutting practice short, doing that every once in a while, heading into to Monday, you know, which is two a day day today on Monday. And then they have a scrimmage this evening, coach. Uh, you know, on Monday. but So it's it's really interesting to kind of see the way this team has progressed. But I agree with you. It looks like they have got better.
1: I think they've become a football team now. They believe in each other. They're starting to believe in what they're running offensively and defensively. It's great to see a a recruit or a new player, a rookie, as we sometimes call them, getting coached up by veterans, grabbing them, telling them this, do this, do that. It's great to see that. And, and, and Ryan, I'm going to make this statement, and, and I know uh, – A lot of people uh, uh, don't feel like I do or do feel like I do. I don't know. Maybe the writers do. Maybe the coaches do. I don't know. This is my statement. The new uh, class that have just come into school, uh, the freshman kids, and, of course, Palin, the junior college transfer, to me is one of the best classes I've seen over the last three or four years. Now, I'm not ranking it with any Pete Carroll's classes, because I'm not getting back to that era. But over the last several years, this class, there is not what you call, I hate to say this, there is not what you sometimes call someone that shouldn't be out there, that they were misevaluated. Mis- this group that came in now that are out there are players. They can all play. They can all contribute. They can all play young. Not that you want them to all play young, but don't be afraid to play these kids young. They're athletic, they're, they're maturing. The offensive line knows they have to play. They're a bunch of young guys, and they're pushing the veterans who who know that if they don't come back and they don't play, they're not going to play. So uh, I think this is a great recruiting class, and uh, I think this class is going to go a long ways.
0: I, and, and Steve Sarkeesian, agree with you. I mean, he didn't want to, like, rank them or anything, but he said that the work ethic is there, and a lot of guys are going to be – he, he rattled off a whole bunch of guys that he thinks are going to be able to contribute. And I think it's a it's a really important aspect because of the depth issues this team has. Having a bunch of guys that can come in and fill in some of those roles, I think, is really key. And then one of the other keys, Coach, just kind of leads to our question is, uh, he talked about this today about they run so many plays in practice that you can get these guys, you get the the young freshmen a lot of reps. They're, everyone's getting reps, mental reps. They're getting reps on the walk-through periods. They have the, the multiple walk-through periods, thing. But also helping out, there's a lot of walk-ons that are getting reps. And they've been an integral part of this team, too. And I wanted to – the question from John in Oakland, I wanted, it's a little long, but I wanted to read it for you, Coach, and talk about the walk-ons here because they are, they are playing a really important role for this team. Not just guys that are going to contribute, but just on the practice field. But uh, John says, I really enjoy the podcast having just discovered them late last year. Well, thanks for that, John questions on the walk-on program how does it compare the way other pac-12 schools run their programs it looked like there's 37 walk-ons out of 109 players on the roster or about one-third of the team i never thought usc would have much success with walk-ons given the high cost of attendance why attendance why pay thousands of dollars to walk on at a private usc when you could do the same for a lot less at a public school however it seems that uh, this view has changed over the years, and it looks like most USC walk-ons are real football players with solid resumes outside of USC and interested in helping the team win. I know one. I know that walk-ons can now eat the same as scholarship players. Uh, how are they treated in the other areas like the weight room, training staff, uh, and all that, and also how integrated are the walk-ons into practices and game planning by the coaches. So a lot of stuff there, uh, Coach, but maybe talk about the walk-on program a little bit.
1: Well, first of all, uh, it was very important for USC when the scholarship limits are down to, to have quality walk-on players. And, and let me explain something. to You You just don't walk on. A lot of people think anyone comes out for football at USC or any university. That's not true. You have to be evaluated by the coaches and invited out. You have to be able to contribute. Uh, some people come out there and they get killed, you, and they can't contribute. And They take a turn, and, and it's not what you're doing. You're trying to get better. Uh, I had a chance to, to meet a, to a parent today of a walk-on, Christian Tober, at practice today. And here's a kid that's all Orange County. All uh, Their team went to the uh, Big Five Championship uh, at Sacramento High School, number 28. I mean, this is a quality player, a football player. That's a walk-on that's contributing. There's a lot of walk-ons at USC that'd be scholarships somewhere else. And they're not just walking on. You have to be invited to come on to the SC football program. Or any, at UNLV, guys would come in and say, and I'd say, I'm sorry. I know you really want to play. But, Coach, I, I can play. I can play. I can play. I'd say, it's not in the best interest of you or our football program for you to walk on. Now, if there's another way we, you want to work with us so we can help you, or some amount to be a manager or that's fine. And I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just saying you don't fit our role of what we look for. We had a lot of walk ons that play and play football. SC has a lot of walk ons that contributed. Not that different. Chris Wilson. Take Chris Wilson. He's going to play in the NFL someday. You, you think I'm kidding you when I say that. He's 6'5, 260 pounds. He's getting better every day. He's going to be another Cromwell or, or Cameron, excuse me. Uh, this kid is getting better every single day. That transferred from Wake Forest, He was a quarterback. So you learn a lot, and you get a lot out of being a walk-on. But again, now they're finally starting to, to treat them uh, like a contributor by being able to feed them the way, don't worry, they ate anyway. They found <laughs> a way, the players find a way to feed walk-ons, okay, because they're their teammates. They would rather give them half their dinner than to have a walk-on player who's contributing not eat. I'm just telling you that. That's what you call teammates and families. And not only that, they go to families' homes and eat with their families and barbecue and so on. Why? Because they're part of the football team. And you've got to remember that you're all one. You know, one guy makes a big play, you've all made that big play. You all win, you all lose. You all cry, you all pray. You all do everything together. So walk-on is a very, very important part of a football program. And You just don't go out and walk on. You're being... You're invited to go out, and you're expected to do every single thing that a scholarship athlete is expected to do. You go to school. You go to study hall. uh, You do the things that are necessary, that you represent the team and the the university in a special manner. You're football. uh, You're part of a chain, and you're only as, as strong as your weakest link. And these guys are all together going the same way, and uh, i tell you, it's great, uh, like the parents I met today, they drive up in San Clemente, they're watching Christian practice, uh, I enjoyed meeting them, uh, you can't tell the difference whether that kid's a walk-on or a scholarship athlete. In fact, if I took a lot of people out there that didn't know the roster of USC, I'd say, who's scholarship, who scholarship who's and who's not scholarship out here? It'd be difficult to tell because of the effort that these kids give, 100%, that'd make any difference.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of guys on this team and, and just the the other part of his question about yeah, they can uh they're they have access to the training staff. They're basically like on the team as as a scholarship player would be. So they don't have the same kind of have half nots sort of thing and they're very much integrated into practices because you know, they need bodies. The reason there's about a third of the roster is because they don't have as many scholarship players. So really about I think it's sixty five right now. Uh, or it might even be less. It might even be sixty-four because of DJ Morgan. But a scholarship players that are out there practicing, so uh, they have one hundred and five guys that can be out there. So that's a lot of players that are walk-ons that are out, uh, you know, out there and, and contributing. So yeah, they're they're a big part of this team, and uh, certainly, John, I, I appreciate the question, but you, it's it's important to see what the the contribution of these guys are doing. And like Coach said, there's a lot of aspects where you can't really tell. You wouldn't you wouldn't really be able to know. Um, you know, If that guy's a scholar, you, know, you look at Chris Wilson, he definitely looks like a scholarship player. You look at uh, Tolan, the running back, he looks like a scholarship player. And then some of the guys were given scholarships like um, you know Ryan Dillard, who was recruited and had scholarship offers. So a lot of contributions, Coach.
1: They are. And, uh, yes, they do uh, go to all the weight programs. They go to all the training rooms. They go to all the meetings. They're expected to be there on time like everybody else. If they're not on time, they're punished like everybody else. They miss a class, they're punished like everybody else. You're either all in or you're all out. That's the way it is on a football
0: team. Uh, all right, well, let's talk a little academics. And you might not know the answer to this. I'm not sure if I do either, but we can. Uh, it's, it's specifically about Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick, uh, Gregory in Orange County. He said you discussed the uh, student-athlete classroom accountability on the podcast a couple months ago. Do you know what the academic thresholds are for GPA and the number of semester units a student-athlete must complete in order to academically qualify to play. USC's had great student-athlete educational support facilities, staff with tutors and staff oversight. How in the world would Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick flunk summer school and become academically ineligible for playing football this year? Thank you for the great insight, Greg, in the OC.
1: Well, there's probably a lot of people asking that question. Uh, You know, you have a staff with, I think, there's somewhere like 19 or 20 athletic advisors And they work very, very hard, and they work very, very closely with the athletes at USC. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. Uh, Sometimes uh, uh, young people don't do the necessary things uh, that are necessary to pass a class or uh, don't attend a class and are dropped from a class, and all of a sudden they're behind unit-wise and they can't catch up. Uh, When I was coaching, you had to pass 24 units a year. Uh, to be eligible, and you could use summer school. Uh, Now, And also, when they became a junior, you had to take uh, classes towards a degree. You had to be work in progress, so you are going towards graduation. You had to take upper division classes, not just any class. And uh, you go along like any other student in in the student body. And and if you check the stats percentage-wise, you'll see that more athletes graduate on time than probably any other area in the, the entire student body, uh, the percentage wise, because they are tutored to continue towards practice towards graduation and, and and then it's necessary or you can't participate. so those things happen. You have players that don't get it done, and I tell you it hurts them more than it probably hurts anybody else, but it hurts the team, and he's out there practicing. He has to practice, he has to do everything, yet he can't play. So it's uh, a, a mean lesson. It's a mean lesson, and it, it hurts the team, and it hurts everybody around him. But, you know, what you always say is another person's got to step up. And uh, Bryce Dixon has really stood up. He, he's going to be a great player. Uh, Chris Wilson's going to be able to play well. Uh, and, of course, uh, you got Telfer, who's going to play well. And if you have to have another tight end down their block, you move a tackle out and you let him play like Gertner played last year, a lot of tight end, but you overcome it. You just overcome it or you put a different type of formation when Vanuku or Penner can be like in the uh, tight end position but off the line of scrimmage, same thing, and utilize him in, in a pass routes and different things. So, yeah, you, you adjust. You adapt or die. That's what I used to say. Hey, son, you want to adapt or die? <laughs> Time to move on. Let's don't look back. Let's look forward. So what you got to do, you learn the lesson here the hard way. Probably a good kid. I don't know the kid. Great kid. He learned it the hard way. But you've uh, got to get back in the classroom, and you got to have both to be able to compete. That's just the way it is. And no one's saying that, you know, that everybody didn't try. It just didn't happen.
0: Yeah, it's an unfortunate situation, Coach. And I'll have to look up the exact rules of how many units and things like that. But usually it's – It's got to be over. It's not usually like you flunk one class. It's because you didn't have enough units from before. It kind of is a pile-on effect usually where you didn't do quite as well the last semester, and then you come in this semester, and you miss something, and you have to drop a class, and then it drops you below a threshold. And I think that's what's happened uh, in this situation. But it should be easier, Coach. I think it was before. I think it is now when you're younger because you don't have that kind of degree process that you're working towards. But later on, then you also have to have that progressing towards a degree.
1: You're exactly right. The first two years, you shouldn't have that problem because you're able to take elected classes and general classes and uh, you're not taking upper division classes towards a degree. And and uh, you normally take a lot of those when you're in the summer school so that you have more time to study and take the labs in the summer and so on. So when the fall comes around or football season's around or spring practice is around, you don't have difficulty with your labs. So, yeah, it's not easy. Not easy to be a football player or an athlete and go to school. A lot of people think, Oh man, they got it made. Hey, listen, they gotta do a lot of things and still compete with the same kids in the same classroom. A lot of the other kids they don't have to go to football practice, they're not tired, they don't have to get up at five in the morning to practice. They don't have to be in the sun all day. Yet when they take the test, they gotta take the same test. Yeah. So uh, it's not easy to be an athlete. They earn every single dime of their scholarship. And uh, and uh, in most cases, they're all very successful.
0: All right, Coach, we've got one last thought for you from Julian. And uh, this is about the UCLA game last year, which is kind of a blast from the past. But, you know, the season's just around the corner a couple weeks away. So I guess we can start talking some of the, the football stuff. But Julian's not real happy with what happened last year. He said, in the game against UCLA last season, I felt the Bruins really crossed the line when they assaulted the Trojan team when the Trojans were having their pregame prayer. This is the worst example of over-the-top brew and trash-talking. They put in parentheses, bordering on assault. Wow. That went on during the week leading up to the game. I understand that football is a violent sport, but there seems to be a lot of rules, understandably, against unsportsmanlike conduct. The UCLA, I thought, demonstrated extremely unsportsmanlike uh, behavior before and during the game. Did we lose two of our offensive linemen during that game to extremely serious injuries? To me, those injuries did seem to result from the borderline tactics by Bruin defenders. It was odd to me that no one uh, ever really commented on UCLA's behavior around the game. Obviously, this has been bothering me for a while. Yes, obviously. Uh, Curious to hear Coach Harvey Hyde's thoughts. So that's from Julian, Coach. What do you think?
1: Well, Julian, I'll tell you what I think really bothered you is they got their butts (laughs) beat, and. I think that's what it is. Over the last two years, they lost to UCLA. I think if they'd have beat UCLA, it wouldn't have been a bigger, bigger as a, uh, thing, topic as far as talking about it. You know, teams do things, and, and you're right. Sometimes some teams get criticized when uh, when they do things, and some teams don't get criticized when they do things. I'll tell you one thing for sure, that if I was the F C band director or the guy, Tommy Trojan, whoever it is that, it, you know, leads the band, they play in the Rose Bowl, This yard rock right out there and stick my sword right in the middle of the UCLA's emblem in the middle of the field. You remember they didn't let them do that two years ago? Right. Had a big to-do on that. Well, you know, big deal. I'd make sure, in fact, they get in there early and stick it in there in the, in the middle of the night or something, so I'd make sure they got up in the morning and saw that when they went on the field. But... uh Little things like that, uh, you know, those are those are things not to worry about. Uh, we, we we have all those type of problems all the time in and, and locker rooms. And before you come on the field, people going back and forth. When you come out the same tunnel, when you get off the bus, and when our lockers are, are next to each other's locker rooms, and some of the old locker rooms you used to have, guys pounding on the wall and chanting, it's, it's time to get your butts kicked, it's time to get your butts kicked. I mean, the whole team, you know, pounding on the walls and saying that as it comes through to your locker room. There's a lot of things that kids do, but, you know, a, a lot of it, uh, uh, you know, you, you, they're kids getting ready to play. And, you know, a coach tries to be responsible as much as they can. Uh, Jim Moore is an ethical guy. and He's a great football coach. I'm going to give him credit. He really is. In fact, when Jim Moore got the job at UCLA, I told everybody. they got a football coach at UCLA now, and it's not going to be a one-football city, and and he's certainly done that. He's done a great job over there. Let's give him credit. And I think it's going to make USC better, and I think that when you have great football programs, other teams get better because they have to compete. Let's give the Pac-12 credit. The only reason the Pac-12 is as good as it is right now is because it's a Pete Carroll era they had to compete or they weren't going to be able to play in the Pac-12 anymore. Pete Carroll was owned. He owned the Pac-12. And people knew that. And that's why I believe they didn't come to FC's defense to Pac-12 when they had those sanctions put against them. Nobody stood up. Nobody said anything. Nobody said it was too harsh. Why? They used that as an opportunity to catch up to USC. They were tired of getting their butt beat. All of them. So other schools went out and started to build facilities. Other people went out and hired new coaches, all of this happened because USC was so far ahead and They had won 35 or whatever it is, conference games in a row. And, uh, without a couple of losses, the loss to UCLA, they'd have played for another national championship when they lost 13 to nine in the Rose bowl. I mean, uh, they were, they owned the PAC 12. They actually owned it. So, uh, you know, uh, when you have great teams uh, like UCLA's now a great football team, Give them credit. Uh, it makes SC want to be better because they've got to recruit better guys to get better. So SC now coming back into the Pac-12, it's not going to be like when Pete Carroll came into the Pac-12 and the Washington States were down. Hey, Washington State's not down anymore. They're starting to get good players Mike Leach is a hell of a coach. Arizona's not down now. Rich Rodriguez is a hell of a coach. Arizona State with Todd Graham, I'll tell you, he's a, he's nasty. He wants to win. You take all of them. Hey, Stanford will line up and smash you. Oregon, Oregon State, you got your problems with them. Peterson now in Washington. UCLA. Utah. Colorado, they got to get better or they're not going to compete. So, you know you got to look at this. It'll make SC a better football team because of the level that the Pac-12 is at. And I'll tell you, right now, I think the Pac-12 is right at the same level as the Southeastern Conference. A lot of you out there might say, oh, come on, Coach. Oh, yeah, oh, come on, Coach. Let me tell you, the Southeastern Conference doesn't play as many good teams week to week that the Pac-12 plays back to back. They play one more conference game. That means they get – Another loss, if they lose, they're, they're going to get six losses, somebody, because they have to play another team in the Pac-12. Why, the Southeastern Conference only plays eight conference games, and they play another automatic win against somebody else. So there's a lot of things here that people overlook and see, and I think I I just wish they were on the their Pac-12 network was was stronger as far as on Direct TV and some of the other things that are going on to give the Pac-12 the necessary exposure that it should have. But I'm gonna tell you the Pac-12 can line up and play. In the bowl games last year, they lost two games. I think one of them, Arizona State, should have never lost. They ended up getting beat in the Holiday Bowl to Texas Tech. But all the other teams, except for Stanford in the Rose Bowl, won. And dominated. So if Stanford would have won in the Rose Bowl, you know what that play came down to. And if Texas if if, if uh Arizona State would have beat Texas Tech, they'd have won every bowl game. Not bad when you think about the Pac twelve.
0: Not too bad, Coach. All right, well we're back. The podcast well the podcast never went away, but we have Coach Harvey Hyde joined up with Dan Weber again for the first time in several weeks. So it's good stuff we appreciate you coming on, Coach, and we're excited to talk to uh, Dan Weber coming up in the next segment.
1: Hey, Ryan, I'm always excited to be around you guys and uh, all of the parents that are out there at practice and, and the kids that are working so hard. And this is a tough time of the year as far as getting ready for the season, but this is when you have those little nicks. And, you know, it's common. Really, yeah. everybody talks about injuries. It's common. Everybody has injuries at this time. It's not just USC you got bruised arms. you got bad legs. You, can't, you haven't been able to sleep good. It's hot. You know, you, you haven't seen your girlfriend. You're living in the dorm. You know, there's a lot of things that you have to sacrifice to be a football player. And this is what brings the team together to make you be able to go out on Saturday and perform and care about what you do.
0: All right, Coach. Great stuff. We appreciate it as always. Thanks again, and we'll uh, talk to you next week.
1: All right, buddy. Thank you.
0: All right. And everyone else back in a minute, talking to Dan
1: Weber.
2: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on ParastylePodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.
0: We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We got Dan Weber again, reunited. And it feels so good. What's up, Dan? Welcome back That's to right. the Peristyle oh, Podcast. Yeah, it's
3: been a, been a couple of months.
0: Yeah. Well, are you excited? You're back on the podcast?
3: Oh yeah, I mean I do have. You know, you run into people you absolutely have never seen before who say, "You know, man, I love hearing you on the podcast," or "You're going back on the podcast, right?" I mean, it's just uh, it it constant. It always surprises me. I'm just and uh, people, I guess uh, they really feel a personal connection with the podcast, and
0: uh, that's pretty neat. It is pretty neat, and we appreciate that. We, you know, we've been running it over six years now, and 333rd episode, I think, are we three? Is that right? Am I hope I'm right on that. Uh, we are, yeah, 300, and... that's crazy how many episodes yeah. we've had, 333 episodes of the Parastyle Podcast, so pretty special um, that it's been going on this long, and we do appreciate that, and we you know, we missed you for a couple months there, um, but we wanted to talk a little trojan football again that's what we do that's why we we have you on here we had a bunch of questions and uh i guess the best way you can just kind of jump in dan Tark had an interesting one he wants to know who do you see as usc's starting three wide receivers i know that nelson aguilar is penciled in but it sounds like juju smith the jana harris george farmer are all playing well they're playing as well as anybody what do you think
3: well uh you know add uh victor blackwell to that list he's really uh he's come on awfully strong here the last uh five or six uh practices and uh has only played as well as anybody i mean he's made big plays big catches he's uh faster this year and i'm not saying that to push victor over you know all the other guys uh we're just seeing a you know a lot of people making a lot of plays and uh I don't think it's going to be like that big a deal, uh, other than Nelson. You know who are the starting guys. I mean, I think they're going to put them in there in all kinds of combinations. I mean, we saw today, for example, with um, uh, or Sunday, excuse me, um, uh, and they're going tonight. And it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the scrimmage. But um, uh, we saw, for example. Uh, formations where they had Juju and um, and George as the flanker in the wideout and had Nelson in the slot, and I think they're thinking, you know, they're going to get mismatches with Nelson in the slot, especially you know goal lines and things like that where you got to cover him with a linebacker or whatever, and uh, and you're going to see those kinds of combinations. So, you know, in terms of who's the starter. I don't think it's going to be quite the same way it was, you know, under Lane where you really had an obvious, uh, you know, one or two guys. And then, uh, you know, it was a sort of a real clear pecking order. I think the way they're playing and the way they're using them and the number of plays they're running, I don't think it'll be the same emphasis. I think starters are going to obviously matter of quarterback, starter, you know, the five offensive linemen they come up with, but, But I think in some of the positions like tight end and and running back and wide receiver, you're not going to end up focusing quite that much on the starter.
0: Uh, Yeah, because we'll see some of that rotation in there. It's going to be interesting to watch how that works, and especially if you look at the tight end situation, Dan, uh, you could use more receivers. There could be more guys in the mix if, if a couple of those tight ends go down. There's not that many guys left.
3: Well, And then you got a tight end like, you know, Bryce Dixon that's, you know, no matter, so he's 6'4", 240, he's still kind of a hybrid wide receiver guy. Yeah. Who gets down the field, you know, very quickly and uh, catches everything. And, you know, they just love him. And And Randall Telfair has looked, you know, Telfair has looked, you know, very good. Chris Wilson is serviceable as heck, does a lot of good things, smart, tough, uh, I, you know, he almost and, and Stark, you know, talks about. He said you're going to see two wide receivers. Uh, excuse me. He said you're going to see two tight end sets. You're going to see four wide receiver sets. Um, you're going to see a lot of things uh, with this team. And we haven't mentioned, you know, Dory Jackson yet. Yeah, we don't know, you know, where he's going to end up, uh, but he's going to be on the field. And if they put him at wide receiver. Um, you're probably going to watch, uh, watch him do some
0: things. That's very true. Um, Melvin had a couple of interesting questions about camp. I wanted to get to both of them. Uh, first one, he said, now that you've seen a number of these practices, including full pads and, quote-unquote, hitting, anyone stand out as big hitters? Uh, they don't really do guys,
3: much of
1: that. Right? Guys yeah. that
3: you haven't seen uh, maybe always get to hit... Uh, Guys like, for example, Anthony Sorrell and uh, and Michael Hutchings, uh, you know, on the inside there, uh, who really, uh, you know, will deck somebody. Gerald Bowman, we always knew he was a hitter. Um, uh, it depends, you know, if Delvon Simmons has got a head of steam up, he will really run over people. Uh, uh, other hitters, I mean, honestly, uh, Damian Mama, if you come <laughs> near him, we'll hit you with two Two arms that are bigger than most people's legs, and he'll lay you out. I mean, uh, uh, Viani Tal- Talamavai is a is a big time you know hitter. Uh, so uh, uh, some you know Vanuquu in uh, the open field on special teams uh, will hit you. Sua Cravens will hit you. Uh, they've got a lot of guys. Josh Shaw will will absolutely hit you. They've got a lot of guys that that will will hit you. I mean they. Um, um, you know, Quentin Powell isn't all that big, but he'll hit you. Uh, you know, Scott Felix uh, is a the hitter. Uh, they're just, you know, obviously Leonard Williams will uh, will absolutely, you know, hit people. So um, got a lot of. This is a pretty physical team.
0: All right, and then the other part of his question was, uh, I can now see that the depth is clearly a factor for this year. Do you think that true freshmen? we'll be giving a lot of opportunity to get some meaningful playing time.
3: Yeah, I mean, they already are. I think mean, You can't run this system without having enough bodies. Uh, you're just going to wear out. And uh, so they're getting meaningful you know, playing time in and practice, and, and I think there's a good chance that you know, Sark said he do not want to predict. He said he might tell us on Thursday that you know, this guy, this freshman is going to play, and then he said maybe he maybe only get five plays. He said maybe he'll get 35. I don't know. He said, you don't want to necessarily predict it, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of them just because they've gotten to do so much, uh, you know, in the first two weeks uh, that are going to be ready to play. I mean, I, was, I guess I was talking to Coach Dravno after practice, and I said, you know, your third-team guys are probably getting as many uh, reps as some of the first-team guys a year ago. and uh, You're just running so many more plays, and, and you're running so many more plays every day in practice. I said, you know, your your guys just are getting more reps, and uh, I said that has to help, you know, your freshman guys. And he said, absolutely. He likes to say absolutely, by the way, and and uh, <laughs> absolutely was his answer. Is yeah, it's just, uh, you know, this is how you you teach kids. You teach them by doing, and they're getting a lot of chance to do uh, as freshmen. I don't think there's ever been a freshman class uh, in recent. You know, years in memory that uh, has had as many players getting as many reps every day as this uh, as this class.
0: Um, good stuff there. Thanks, Melvin, for that. Uh, Gary in Playa Vista had a question, and we got to talk with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment. Dana, a lot about walk-ons. He kind of this is kind of follow-up to that, I guess you could say. So looking at uh, the new USC roster, and there are now 109 players listed, 19 linebackers, including Jabari Ruffin. What an amazing amount of SC walk-ons! Is that more than usual? Is it part of Sark and the new staff's efforts? Would love uh, would love Coach Hyde or Dan Weber to address how the walk-ons are developed. Do they get Do they get all the reps? Do they travel with the team? Fight on, Gary and Playa Vista.
3: Yeah, Gary. Uh they have had a really you know amazing uh ability over this last year and I, and i do think like a lot of things with this team you know it started with people like uh you know Ed Orgeron started with uh John Baxter who i think did significant work uh you know with the walk-ons uh but uh it's amazing the way these kids just keep showing up and you know, guys with talent, I mean, walk-on uh, kickers. I mean, there's so many walk-on kickers now. They could, you know, they had a separate competition for for, for at least two of them uh, tonight. Um, uh, we're really seeing, you know, like you said, linebackers. There's some. There are some walk-on linebackers who can absolutely play. Um, I mean, it's nice to see, you know, the Ryan Dillers and Nathan Gertlers, you know, getting scholarships. But they're, I mean... Who was it today? Uh, Nelson Aguilar was just saying, Christian Tober, he said, man, he's the third slot guy. And uh, he said he makes us so much better, and he does such a good job. And um, we really need guys like that. He makes USC better. He's a USC player. Some of the people on the sidelines were talking about how many teams in the Pac-12 he might start for. And uh, so, yeah, you know, for a private school, and what it costs to go to USC and all of that, it's its pretty amazing, uh, you know, the kind of walk on uh, support that they've gotten. You know, guys like Aaron Miner, you know, as a wide receiver, I mean, the wide receiver position just seems to draw a lot of them. A quarterback, uh, you know, with Anthony Nyer. Uh, gosh, uh, you know, running back, James Tolan. I mean, you could defy anyone to come to practice and, and pick him out and say, you know that that kid's a walk-on. I mean, there's just nothing about, you know, how he plays tells you, says he's a walk-on. A uh, Matt Lopes, uh, for example, at uh, safety, he's a, you know, tough kid, and uh, again, you probably wouldn't guess he's a walk-on. So uh, yeah, they've been, they've been fortunate, and uh, just the very fact that they've had to, for example, DJ Morgan's knee hasn't come around, you know, so fast and. uh they kind of wanted to hold him off because uh while you're in camp you can only have 105 players and they you know needed one of those slots for uh, you know for a kicker so uh they're going to bring him back when they're allowed to go to 115 and um you know once they're out of camp but uh you know you might not have thought you know for a team with uh, 65 basically i think maybe down to 64 healthy uh, originally recruited scholarship players, and yet um, you know here they are, you know, kind of m- m- moving the roster around to m- make sure they're not over 105 during camp. So that extra 40 are their walk-ons.
0: Yeah, it's a it's an amazing. Just looking at the stats of these guys, there's there's a lot of guys that are expected to play, a lot of freshmen expected to play, and I think a lot of walk-ons that are expected to make contributions. Not you know maybe not as much on the field, there'll be some. But you're really practicing. You try to get all three units going through there. It has to include walk-ons.
3: Well, especially with with the uh, up-tempo, you know, running as many plays as they do and running three full teams, couldn't do it without the walk-ons. You absolutely could not do it. So uh, they're more critical, you know, this year, I think, than than they've ever been. Uh, And uh, they make it possible to play the way they're playing. It really matters.
0: It's a a big deal. So, I mean, at USC, the numbers aren't there. You need something, and this is definitely an avenue that Steve Sarkeesian has been able to use and um, find some really guys that you don't think are walk-ons. They look like scholarship guys. They kind of need them out there.
3: And the big break is it happened this year is uh, the NCAA uh, permitted – uh, the walk-on kids to have full benefits of, uh, you know, all the food and the training table and all of that. And that's, uh, you know, it's going to be, a, you know, a costly upgrade, but it's one that, you know, USC uh, is happy to do. It really helps USC and it really helps the walk-on kids. And uh, just in time, it it comes at exactly the right time.
0: Yeah, they definitely needed that. Um, let's see, Ben had a question. He's like, Steve Sarkeesian talked to- big at media day about his injury success at, at university of Washington. And I think he's what he's referring to is they only lost one player for the season at Washington. Last year, USC lost 19 players for the season. If I, if I got that correct, uh, he said, but I'm still waiting to hear which of the Stanford slash San Francisco 49 er conditioning methods have been adapted by USC and why USC doesn't use the GPS monitoring system, monitoring system, that is in place at Florida State and was recently adapted by Alabama. What exactly is the approach, and how does it compare to Stanford and Florida State? That's from Ben.
3: Yeah, I don't think they're going to uh, you know quite that elaborate uh, you know a system. I think the emphasis, and I do think uh, to correct the number, and we all use the number. I think uh, the number nineteen was. Not necessarily the number of season-ending end, injuries last fall, but it was the number of players who couldn't uh, report for spring as a result of their injuries. Uh, for example, you know guys like Josh Shaw who finished the year out, uh, but then you know had surgery that, or he had a stress fracture that they had to uh, you know let him take it easy on in the spring and. There were, uh, you know, guys like that who couldn't come back for spring. I don't think they're going, you know, they're not going to quite as elaborate, uh, you know, a situation as Stanford or, or Florida State with the GPS thing. I think what they're doing, uh, you know, according to Ivan Lewis, is they're just doing a lot more monitoring of players, monitoring of reps, monitoring of time off, days off, first time starts, hit a uh, you know, a team with four days off in the preseason. That's just not something they've ever done. And I think they really keep track of, of how many plays each kid gets in practice. They're doing things like, you know, Nelson Aguilar, the first scrimmage, they just say, eh, you don't need to go. Or, um, you know, with Trey and, and, and Buck, they'll tell him, nah, uh, don't worry about it, you know, tonight. Or And, and they've been... I think very aware of, um, of of what they need to do to give guys time off, what they need to do to, um, to not bring guys back too soon. And uh, I, I think it's more that's going to be their approach, just totally building in recovery time to practice, you know, if it means a couple of extra hours uh, from one day to the next, uh, if it means moving practice back an hour or so, uh, whatever – they think they need to do, uh, they're doing, but they've probably not gone to the elaborate level, say, of the uh, Florida State GPSs and that. And don't know if they've, you know, they're totally convinced. I mean, obviously Florida State wins a national championship and, you know, doesn't have a, uh, you know, has a real successful year in terms of injuries and that. So uh, I know they're probably looking at it, but they're not, uh, you know, using it this year.
0: All right, well, thanks for that one, uh, Ben. Uh, Interesting stuff here. We had one from Earl also, Dan. I hear a lot about USC skill players, the receivers, running backs, tight ends, and quarterbacks in the NFL. But what I find most impressive is that the last three starting USC centers have all been highly regarded draft picks at the position in the NFL. Ryan Khalil, Khalid Holmes, and Marcus Martin. How do you explain that? That's from Earl. Hmm. (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know I think it helps to be at USC I mean uh, just start with that uh, I think you know Ryan Khalil was probably undervalued maybe because of you know size a little bit and you know should not have been a second round as he's proven he should have been a first rounder Colin um, Holmes I think got really good marks for being you know as smart as he was and uh, I think it you know, always, uh, I mean, I think they pick up on, I mean, those Colleen Holmes and, and Marcus Martin, I think, are perfect examples of of how USC probably ought to be recruiting and telling kids, you know, you come here, Marcus Martin played one year at center, uh, got a chance to, you know, play when he was 18-year-old, you know, freshman, and, uh, you know, made it work for him. I was listening to their game driving home from practice today, the 49ers, and he was in. In its center, God, they needed somebody, in the way they were getting, you know, drilled by can or by uh, Denver, but uh, you know, he, they're real happy with him, and he's going to get a chance. And I do, I just think a lot of it is, uh, you know, USC's kids. I mean, if you're looking at linemen recently, and you're looking at not just Ryan Khalil, you're looking at Matt Khalil, you're looking at Tyron, Smith, you know, you're looking at guys, and you think, wow, these kids came along right you know, after those kids, these kids were, you know, in the lineup with those guys. Uh, I think that helps a lot, the fact that, you know, one USC class leads into another, into another. Uh, I just saw that uh, Sam Baker lost for the year with Atlanta, real shame. Uh, But there was a tradition of, of those guys coming along, high draft picks, playing for, you know, a lot of years in the NFL, and it, and it goes way back. Uh, and uh, I think it, ha- it, it really helps the guys coming along now. If you come into USC and you do well, uh, they're going to like you. Uh, and, you know, it's just uh, you know, one of the benefits of, of being part of this program, and it's probably uh, the kind of thing that pays off when you see, the, you know, the offensive linemen that came in this year. Uh, they know, I mean, those guys want to go to the NFL, and they know you know that you'll
0: get a chance coming out of USC um Dan that's interesting stuff there as far as the future I mean the the, the linemen that have come through USC he's talked about the center position now you got Max Turek as the center um what have you seen from him and, and some of the guys that have played around him so far in the offensive line I think that's one spot where a lot of you know, a lot of media people would agree that's, that's probably one of the problem areas on this team or potential problem areas, or at least one will have a lot of question marks. What do you think about Turek and, and the rest of the guys going forward?
3: Well, you talk about high draft picks, he's already listed as the number two, uh, you know, center uh, next year. Uh, so, uh, I mean, he's still he's not the most natural hand-eye coordination, you know, guy with snaps. And he's got those really long arms. He's 6'6", but he's got, you know, arms, you know, much longer than that. And, uh, you know, today, even when they, you know, get under center a couple of times, they're just, and there's always been that issue with him as to, you know, putting the ball back so far because of those, you know, long, long arms. His uh, shotgun snapping has really, really improved. But, and when you talk to the coaches, they love his leadership. They love his work ethic. They love his attitude. The players all look up to him. I mean, he is a—he's you know, a warrior. He's a—you know—he's a guy that they're going to have to hang their hat on because you know guys on both sides of him, Taylor Lovett on and Khalil Rogers, a true freshman and a redshirt freshman, And uh, So uh, Max is really the anchor there, uh, but they give Max and. I was talking to Coach Trevno about that today, Max and uh, Chad Wheeler, all the credit in the world for, um, uh, you know, stabilizing an offensive line uh, without Andre Walker uh, really able to step up. You're basically looking at, you know, an offensive line with two guys back and uh, they really credit those two. And, and Max is, is really, has really been the leader and, uh, you know, all the all the kids look up to him. So, uh, you know, I'm you know very uh, you know encouraged about how he's playing, and you know where he can go with this team. I I think uh, you know he's uh, he's a. I mean, we were just uh, talking about with Gerard uh, about ten of Troy, and I was thinking, uh, you know, when you go into the you know the top ten guys coming out of the camp, you know, you can't not. Uh, look at Max Turk as, as one of the you know top guys that, that just has to be you know in that group of uh, you know the future guys that USC really needs to have uh, have that kind of there.
0: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I I got to come up with my ten of Troy list too, so I'll make sure not to leave Max off <laughs> like, okay. off of there, Dad key spot. I mean, I don't, I mean what, do you think though that the offensive line has kind of answered some of those questions, or is it still... I think
3: it has. I mean, I you know, I asked you know, Coach Treveno again, I said, you know, you've been together. Uh, talking to, I guess first Chad Wheeler, I said, you guys have been together the entire camp, and he said, we've been together all spring. And I said, yeah, I guess that, that's right. I mean, it's the same five guys have pretty much answered the bell all through spring, through the summer on their own, and then uh, and then you know, the entire camp, so that's pretty good, that's something, you know, we haven't seen, uh, maybe, uh, you know, quite quite so much, and they're out there every day, and they're, you know, busting their tails, and I, you know, I talked to a drug and said, it looks like they, and he said, we were getting accustomed to whiffs, and missed assignments, and what have you, and it was really kind of frustrating in years past, and we're not seeing that, we're not seeing, you know, it looks like everybody knows where to go, and what to do, and, how to do it and what time to do it, and he said, "Yeah, we kind of do." I mean, he said, "We're pretty, and you know, at the size they've got, I, I'm not that, you know, worried about you know, the offensive line. I think they can be, I think they can be pretty good. And um, I mean, I, it, it's the key because if the offensive line plays well, they're going to run the ball. I mean, with their running backs, they're flat out." If the offensive line executes, uh, I do love the you know the wider splits. So I love the tempo, love the shotgun. All those things I think help. But if the offensive line executes, they are going to then be able to throw play action because they're going to force you to come up uh, and and defend the run. They're just you can't not come up and defend the run. If you do that, they're going to throw deep on you. And and Cody is really, you know developed as a deep ball you know uh passer and they've got you know one after another guys that can just fly i mean you know they're i mean you, know, you got george and george farmer and uh, Gigi smith to go with nelson and uh and we're seeing more speed out of you know victor blackwell we're seeing speed out of uh, jenny harris i mean we're seeing guys that you know that are gonna fly down the field and uh It's very difficult if you you know you're in the secondary, and you have to honor the run. If you have to feel like you got to help when Buck, uh, you know, when they do that read offs and fake with Buck or when they with Trey or with Justin Davis, and then um, here comes somebody running by you. Um, I mean, it it is the key. I think without a doubt, and I think I'm I'm fairly encouraged that uh, the way they've been together all. You know, every practice, every play. Uh, I'm pretty encouraged that, you know, they can get the job done, that this is gonna be a pretty athletic and, and big rangy guys that are, I mean it's hard to see over those guys. Uh and the fact that they get to play now with Antoine Woods and Leonard Williams back today, if they get to work against as good a defensive, you know, front seven as they're working against every single day. And as many plays as they're running, I think it really gives them a chance to, to be pretty, pretty darn good and uh, good sooner than we have any right to expect with, you know, the new guys. I mean, probably three new starters. And uh, probably shouldn't expect that, but I think uh, from what we're seeing, you can kind of expect it. Now, they will tell you, got a long way to go, we got a long way to go, just two weeks to get there and all that. But uh, I think they've got a chance.
0: All right. Well, great stuff. Appreciate it, Dan. Uh, you know, it's good to have you back on the podcast. We love talking USC football with you, and hopefully everyone else enjoyed it as well. It's been a couple months, but now you're back, and uh, we'll keep them going throughout the rest of fall camp and of the season and, and for the foreseeable future. So thanks, Dan.
3: Oh, I'm glad to be here, and it, it cannot come soon enough, though. We're all at the point, players, and uh, I'm sure you and a are at that point where you really would like to see them start playing games now? Yeah. You know, it's like okay, we're there, we're there. Let's go. Come on, <laughs> line them up, and so you got that one extra kind of extra week, and then you get into game week. So it's this is the week you got to kind of push through, and then then you get the game week, and uh, and then football becomes really neat that weekly. That cycle of football is just the best uh, from any any sport is, is that ability to get into game week and go from game to game to game.
0: Hard to disagree with that. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. appreciate you coming on, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week.
3: Thank you very much, Ryan. Appreciate
0: it. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. We will be back again next week. We should have a special recruiting podcast with Gerard Martinez. He'll be back as well. So check back during the week for that. Thank you very much for tuning in.